you would, please open up with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11. While you're opening up to Matthew 11, a couple things that happened this week. On Monday, as I mentioned, uh, we were getting together some things, and I had this planned weeks in advance. Uh, we've been in a sermon series that started at Christmas, and I said, you know what? Let's just let Christmas keep on going. Everybody needs a little bit more Christmas. And so we continued in Matthew. We started in chapter 2. We went to chapter 3. All of a sudden, we were kind of finished up with Jesus' baptism. And you thought, well, are we going to just keep going or is it over? No. In Matthew chapter 11, we see John the Baptist come back, or rather his disciples. Uh, you know, Jesus came to John the Baptist, who was uh, proclaiming Jesus, and he said, hey, I got to get baptized. John, if you recall, said, no way. <laughs> you, you, I can't baptize you. You need to baptize me. And then Jesus had a moment with him, right? We've got to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, I've got to bring my people into salvation, and this is where it all starts. Jesus' public ministry begins as he begins to represent us in a formal way. He, he's baptized into a baptism of repentance. And so now we see John the Baptist's disciples in Matthew chapter 11 come uh, with a question. Are, are, you, are you the Christ that is to come? Are you the one who is prophesied about? And Jesus has that answer. If you recall this portion of Matthew's gospel, he says, tell him about the acts that I have done. Tell him about the miracles. Tell him about my proclamation. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, my actions prove me to be who John thinks I am. But then we continue on and Jesus begins to proclaim. Jesus begins to give us more as it transitions off of this. And as I was praying and thinking, where should we end this series? Especially if I am to go on this mini sabbatical. Lord, I pray I will be resting. So I'm looking at Matthew chapter 11. There is a famous passage there where Jesus speaks on rest. And I thought this might be most appropriate for us. This was on Monday. Of course, the events transpired this last week. And as I prayed on Friday, on Thursday and Friday and Saturday, I praised God. For in his providence, this word is actually more poignant now. It's more appropriate. It's more needed. Not just for me. Not just for us. But for our nation. And so, as we come and we see uh, a very important piece of scripture, I have just, just a few words. It has certainly been a week. But dear Christians, you must remember that God has provided this word. We have the word, and it addresses our concerns if we would but look to it. I know that we want, uh, uh, at times, and not all of us, but there's a great desire for me or for other pastors or for leaders to uh, preach or to, uh, to speak or to uh, bear out an opinion that is yours. That way you could agree with it and feel good about yourself. But that is not what I have been called to do. On either side, this is, as it were, a political. It is not a moral, though. For God has shown to us how we, as believers in the Lord Jesus, are to stand in the gap. Because I preach Jesus Christ and his salvation to a people who are in desperate need, not for more punditry. 
Not for more animosity-filled hot takes. Not for more grammarless opinions written for the world to see on social media. Nor erudite armchair politicians who think their one class or even their degree in political science has prepared them for the events of this last week, let alone this last year. And if you are like me, we have enough of those things, right? We see them everywhere we look. TV, computer, family, friends, work, church. <laughs> but not here. Not in this pulpit. Let us be about the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And he will give us what we need to maneuver in such things. So my main point is this for our text this morning. Jesus gives true rest, which leads to the capability of true action. Let me pray, and then I will read the word of God. O oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, indeed, we pray to you that you would be one who illuminates your word. The Apostle Peter has told us to pay attention to this word as a light shining in a dark place. Even as the sun rises, so it illuminates, it reveals, it shows what we are to be about. And so, God, I ask that you would do this for us by your Holy Spirit. We cannot do it on our own. We are weak and needy. God, convict us of our sins, comfort us in the gospel of Jesus, and do it all right now through Matthew chapter 11. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Matthew chapter 11, starting with verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God, it remains forever. And so indeed, we pay attention. Three points for us to see that Jesus gives true rest. And from that true rest, we have the capability for true action. Our first point, resting in God's control. Number two, resting in God's salvation. Number three, resting in God's call. First, then, we must rest in God's control. Verses 25 and 26. Jesus is praying this prayer of thanks to God for his control over heaven and earth. We see it start in verse 25 where he says, I thank you, Father. More than that, Jesus goes on in praise of God for his control and his rendering of true wisdom and understanding to his people, regardless 
of what the world thinks of them, right? The little children and the wise and the understanding. And it still happens in our time, but if you were to look at this time, children were not looked at as lovingly as we do now, where we rejoice in the Christian church especially for our covenant children and we bring them in closely as they fall under the auspices and promises of God the Father. This was not so in this time. Children were, unless they were um, uh, boys who could work on the farm, uh, they were not looked at in such high regard. And so Jesus' illustration is actually even more poignant if we remember that. God doesn't care, though, about those things as men did then or as we do slightly now. No, God doesn't care about degrees on the wall. He doesn't care about job experience on the books. He doesn't care about who you know or how much money you make. That is what our society and the world cares about. God cares about his children. And he gives his children, as Jesus is praying and praising God for, he gives his children wisdom and knowledge and understanding of eternal things that save their souls. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Resting in God's control is recognizing that our successes must flow through him. In other words, humility. Resting in God's control is recognizing that any given set of events have purpose, even when they seem purposeless to our finite minds, because they flow through God. In other words, we are given, through resting in God's control, faith and hope, which allows us to see past the things of the world. Resting in God's control is recognizing that it is God who saves. God has adopted each of you, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, as son or daughter. He has taken you into his house and he has given you salvation. For such, Jesus would say, is his gracious will. And this is our second point, that very point, that we must be resting in God's salvation Verse 27, Jesus has been praying to God the Father, praising God for his control of all things, but he makes a transition in verse 27, and I hope that you saw it. Not only has God the Father handed all things to Jesus the Son, but there is such a close relationship between the two that it is exclusive to them. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. Blooming out of this beautiful relationship is the ingathering of God's people because the verse goes on, right? No one, knows the no one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This multiplies over on itself when we look at what Jesus is doing in his earthly ministry, as he is fulfilling all things. John chapter 3, verse 17 says it well. I tricked you, right? You thought John 3, 16? There's a verse that comes after John 3, 16, and it's actually just as important. John 3, 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but 
in order that the world might be saved through him. So God so loved the world that he sent him, but he didn't just send him to condemn people, he sent him to save them. As humanity stands in its own sin, we are on the outside looking in on the most beautiful relationship in the universe. That is, the relationship of God in his fullness, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we sin, we break the relationship, and now we're standing away from God. Because if we were to come into his presence, we would be zapped into nothingness. Because God cannot stand uh, those who go against him. His justice would not allow it. That is the baseline reality. It's our need for payment. It's why Jesus came. And so, as we look and we see this reality, we are looking at a relationship that we are meant for, but we cannot get to. But salvation brings us into this relationship. It is one of the primary themes of the entire historical salvation narrative of the Bible. Over and over and over. I would challenge you, if y'all are doing... um, read the Bible in a year, plans, or something like that, uh, or if you're just doing these different devotionals, look and see how many times God speaks of relationship. It's incredible. His desire is that he would bring his people back into right relationship with him, and he reveals it over and over and over. It is a huge and key theme of the entire Bible. And more than that, it can be tracked in every generation of God's people including our own. Resting in God's salvation fixes the deep wrongs that you have committed against the one who created you. It is an answer for your sin. Resting in God's salvation draws you into relationship with the one being in the universe you were meant to have relationship with, God himself. Resting in God's salvation quiets your screaming conscience, or worse, Your gagged conscience, the one voice you are ignoring, it quiets it and gives you true peace. Resting in God's salvation allows you an eternal view on events taking place, good and bad. Things you have and things you don't have and crises you enter into. Resting in God's salvation gives you contentment, something that we are all desirous of. It's these things and this salvation that is built into our third point where we must be resting in God's call. Verses 28, 29, and 30. I've got a question for you. Are you tired? Are you tired? Is it just me? You tired? Has 2020 tired you out? The first week of 2021 tired you out? Is your labor level a little too high? Where are you on the weariness meter? Are you breaching into the red? About to blow the engine? Do y'all remember that sermon illustration? Uh, I I couldn't remember. I I looked and looked and couldn't find it. And I'm sure somebody's going to be able to tell me maybe if they look back in their notes. But I spoke on the straw that breaks the camel's back. And I mentioned that if a straw can break the camel's back, he must have a pretty severe load to begin with, right? That was the illustration I used. I thought, I'd hate to be the camel before the straw. Before he's broken, he's already 
pretty heavy laden if I think about it. Uh, and so I, as I was thinking about this, I, I thought back to that moment where uh, that illustration was so poignant in my mind, where there are these unbelievably heavy loads that we all bear. We live in a world of unbelievably heavy loads. Individual stress, not only from the onslaught of the world around us, but also from within us too, right? That can be the worst, right? When it's us bearing our weight down upon us. But then family, church, and institutional stress happens because now you take all of those messed up individuals and you lob them in together in a group. And as the group gets bigger, the problems get bigger. A good example of that is our nation right now. A very large group of sinners thrown together and told to be unified. Sounds like a recipe for disaster apart from the Lord, if you asked me. We live in a world of unbelievably heavy loads, and I know for a fact that this last week has a lot of backs feeling like they're about to break for one reason or the other, and it could be many different ones. Instead of giving you yet another human opinion on how to make things right, which I wanted to do, by the way, instead of doing that, because that gets us about as far as nowhere, right? Are y'all seeing that? About, about getting us this far? Oh, nowhere. When people keep giving opinions over and over and over, and it seems to be causing more problems. And so I cautioned myself, and God blessed me to allow me to stay still and begin to let the word speak. And as we do that, we come to this third point, resting in God's call in Jesus's call. This is not human opinion. This is God's word revealed from God's mouth himself. Verses 28 through 30. Nine steps to rest in God's call and to maybe begin to move us forward. Nine steps. Let me just read these Bible verses. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Step one, come to Jesus. Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you say yes? That's the first step. Come to me. Step two, acknowledge that you are laboring and heavy laden. Acknowledge that you just can't do it on your own. Have you made there yet? You know, we lie to ourselves a lot on that one. Step two is harder than you think. Step two, all who labor and are heavy laden. Step three, ask Jesus for rest. Have you ever asked Jesus with these words, will you give me rest, God? Will you allow me to rest I'm not talking about a nap. I'm not talking about having it easy at work. I'm talking about that real heart rest. Have you ever asked God with those words, God, please give me rest? You would be surprised at how few, as a, at how few of us have done that. Give me rest. Step three, ask Jesus for rest. Why? Because he says, I will give you rest rest step four submit to jesus 
Take my yoke upon you. Step five, learn what Jesus asks of you. Learn from me. Step six, learn more of Jesus, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Step seven, witness Jesus' work in you from the previous steps. Because what does he say as you move through this? You will find rest for your souls. Step eight, praise God for such a savior. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Step nine, repeat. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christians, this world is, without a doubt, fact, burdensome. But Jesus gives true rest. And once you have rested, then you can truly act. And we've gotten it backwards. Of all the people in the world that should not have gotten it backwards, we've gotten it backwards. And we are operating on gassed spiritual muscles. So uh, you might not know this about me, uh, but in college, I was quite the Hulk. I worked out all the time. I had a very large and thick neck and a shaved head, and I looked just like a giant gorilla. Uh, my arms were giant. I kind of walked around exactly like you think I should, and it was what it was. Rebecca can tell you more if you want. That's where I'm going to stop, okay? However, during that time, as I was working out in an extreme way, uh, I mean, this was some serious, uh, some serious workout stuff, uh, I came across something that I had never done before, which was truly gassing my muscles. That is, working myself to the point that I couldn't do very small things that you assume you can do always, but you don't realize that you need muscles to do them. So, for instance, picking up a coffee cup. So, you know, you're doing this whole thing, and you're working out, you think, I'm great, I'm fine, I'm a little tired, you know, and you go to pick up the cup, and your, your bicep, you can't even move it, right? Your whole arm, your shoulders, all of your chest, your back, you use all these muscles, done, gassed, totally. Couldn't do it. Something was wrong, right? Maybe y'all at least somewhat might have a similar feeling, you know, a different, you know, because of surgery or something else where in the moment you think, whoa, this is not okay. This is not okay, right? A totally gassed muscle where it's over. We have been operating as the Christian church, not just Centennial, but I have seen it everywhere I look on gassed spiritual muscles. Everywhere I look is burden and weariness and sin and sadness. But it doesn't have to be like that because Jesus has come and changed us. He has given us that which we need, which is real and true rest for our spiritual muscles that, by the way, we probably haven't exercised so much and that, by the way, we probably haven't exercised enough to be ready for this time. But Jesus gives us the rest we need that we might get back into the fray. But if we choose not to rest in him and his call, we will not act like him. And if we do not act like him, we do a severe disservice, not only to our God, but to all those who are around us who are in need of resting in Jesus like us. On spiritually gassed muscles, what have y'all said in the last week, in the last year? And is it befitting the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Take away your political beliefs. Take away your opinions. Take away your I've been there, I've done that. Take away your job situations. Take away your money. Take away your time. And stand before God in his fullness and ask yourself the question, have I been one who reveals the Lord Jesus Christ or have I been one who reveals my own sin of pride, greed, or something else? Whether you're right or you're wrong, humble yourself and stand before God and ask if you've revealed Jesus. And that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? That's hard. But we've got to do it. This is not okay. The nation, it's not okay. We've been fighting tooth and nail at Centennial to stay united. Haven't you felt it? Haven't you heard it from me? We have been fighting and it has taken everything from us. And yet we have made it, right? And we praise God for it. I praised him continually and still do for our unity. But it was close, right? Haven't y'all felt it? Maybe if you're just hearing about it, it's a wake-up call. Now multiply it into our nation of those who don't believe, of those that you don't know, of those who aren't willing to give you a phone call, of those who just aren't willing to come. It's not okay. And so what do we do but fall back into the Lord and truly rest? Because from there, there can be true action. I spoke on sphere of influence before from this pulpit. And I will remind you of your sphere of influence. Family, friends, neighbors, church, coworkers. Go there. Use your sphere of influence because I'll tell you what, mine is not yours, is not yours, is not yours. And as we join together in unity, which we have done, and we join our spheres of influence, you would be surprised at what the small centennial congregation can do in our city, in our county, in our state, and in our nation. It can be a start. And we must go there. But we've got to rest in the Lord Jesus first. Once you have truly rested, then you can truly act. How are you acting? And it'll tell you if you're resting or not. I'm asking y'all, and I'm pleading with you, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, reveal him and act like it. Because now more than ever, the people of this nation need us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray and we ask and we plead and we cry that you would be one who uses us, humble us, forgive us of our sins, grow us, allow us that unity that we have held fast to by your Holy Spirit through the Son because of your ordination. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are good to us, super abundantly and more than we deserve. And so as we stand here in humility... Help us to move forward. Help us to be those who truly act as is befitting of the Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for your word of truth. In Jesus' name, amen.